Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome in. Trevor Lane here for the LakersNation.com podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Trevor underscore Lane over on Instagram at Trevor Lane NBA. We've got a number of topics to get into on today's show. Kick things off with the big question about whether or not the Lakers are actually on the right track. So after the Lakers lost to the Denver Nuggets, which snapped their win streak, remember, no LeBron, no Anthony Davis, no Troy Brown Jr., Lonnie Walker, Austin Reeves, heck, even Patrick Beverly had to leave partway through the game. The Lakers had a skeleton skeleton crew out there and wound up losing that one. But before that, they'd won five in a row. Darvin Ham, despite the loss to Denver, argued that the Lakers are on the right track. And you know what? I agree with him. I think he's actually right. You know, they started off the season terribly, just two and 10, but since then they've found ways to put together wins. And that's been even without a healthy roster. We've seen Anthony Davis in and out of the lineup now out for a big chunk of time. Hopefully fingers crossed. He can be back in a couple of weeks. LeBron James has missed some games. Now they're dealing with basically all of their wing depth being out with Austin Reeves, Lonnie Walker, Troy Brown, Jr. All of these players being out of action yet still, They've found ways to win basketball games, but basketball isn't always just about the wins and losses in the NBA. Ultimately, yes, your record matters and it matters whether or not you win the game. And of course it does, but you also measure a team by how well they're playing, how they're competing. See the NBA, sometimes it's an oversimplification to say it's a make or miss league, but it's also not wrong. Like you can play a great game and just have a subpar shooting night and wind up losing. Conversely, you can play a terrible game and have a hot shooting night and wind up winning a game. That type of variance game to game does exist. So sometimes just looking at the end result and saying, hey, they won the game, so they must have played well, that isn't always accurate. When I look at the way the Lakers have been playing over the last what stretch of games, whether it's six, seven, eight, whatever you want to call it, the last significant stretch of games, the Lakers have looked good. They've looked competitive. They've looked hungry. They've looked like a team that has confidence, that has a fire to them, like a team that believes that they can win. And we didn't have no, we haven't always seen that. We didn't see that last year from the Lakers, certainly. Last year's Lakers team half the time didn't look like they wanted to be on the floor. That was rough. This season, though, especially right now, we're seeing a team that competes. We're seeing a team that says, hey, we're missing like six guys. Whatever. Bring it. Let's go next man up and we're going to come after you and they did you know the Denver Nuggets had more talent than the Lakers did certainly and that's why in the end they won the game but this Lakers team didn't back down the Lakers went right after him the Lakers did what they could to try to win the basketball game and in the end they came up short but this is a team that fought the entire way and you're going to be able to catch teams on nights like that where you're bringing the energy you're bringing the effort and on a random Wednesday night in January and the other team isn't and you're able to go in and steal a win. So I think when I, I look at from an energy, from an effort, from stuff playing with force perspective, the Lakers are doing what you would hope they'd be doing right now. They are competing and they are playing with that fire. And I wonder how much of that is Thomas Bryant, is Dennis Schroeder. You see these guys, the way they've been playing, the way they're flying all over the floor, crashing to the court, doing all of these things. 
how much of that is contagious, right? Like that's so important. Think back to the championship season, uh, Avery Bradley, 2020, right? He didn't play in the playoffs, but during the regular season, Avery Bradley was that kind of catalyst defensively where he's flying all over the floor and it made everybody else do the same thing, right? We see the same thing now. Um, it was a couple of seasons ago, LeBron, uh, he was stepping in and taking a bunch of charges early in the season. And the argument was, hey, if this is, uh, I think it was 36-year-old at the time, LeBron James had taken charges, then everybody has to be able to step in and take charges. And sure enough, it caught fire. The rest of the team started doing the same thing. I think we're seeing that a little bit with the energy and the effort level of Schroeder, of Thomas Bryant, of Wendy Gabriel. It's contagious, particularly if you're having success that way. Everybody picks up the level of play. And I think that it makes this team even if when they do lose, it makes them a little bit more enjoyable to watch. Now, it's not saying losing is fun. It's not. But this team has also won a number of games where they've been able to just gut it out. Ham also lamented the games that they've let slip away, which is true. You think back to you know Indiana and Boston, the 76ers, even Portland early in the season. There were others, too, that the Lakers just shot themselves in the foot. But the point is that this team is playing basketball at a level that they should be, playing basketball at a at a level of effort and competitive drive that they simply should be at. So I think they are on the right track. You get Anthony Davis back, and if you can maintain this level of effort from your role players, you can continue to get major contributions from Thomas Bryant, from Dennis Schroeder, from all the rest. You get Austin Reeves back and Troy Brown Jr. and Lonnie Walker. Can he get things going again? You get a full team again, and who knows, maybe even make a trade or two. There's something here with this team that I think is interesting. The level that Darvin Ham has these guys playing at right now, I think he's right. I think they're on the right track. Now, this next stretch of games will go a long way towards determining whether or not that's actually true. Uh, we've got a matchup coming up tomorrow with the Dallas Mavericks. They've got to find a way to get some wins in some of these games to stay afloat, at least play 500 basketball without Anthony Davis, if they can continue to do that, or the Lakers can put themselves in position to potentially jump into the playoffs. Again, the West, super compact. The opportunity is there. Lakers just have to seize it. All right, let's talk a little bit about the trade front here, since that's what's on everybody's mind. February 9th is the trade deadline, slowly but surely creeping up. And rumor came out today from Michael Scotto uh, that the uh, Knicks are going to move on from Cam Reddish. That's not a surprise. It's been out there for a bit now. But that the asking price, instead of being a first-round pick, which – it's been for pretty much every player. Eric, you want Eric Gordon from the Houston Rockets? First round pick. That's what it's going to cost you. You want Josh Richardson? Oh, that's a first round pick. All right. You want Boyan Bogdanovich? That's an unprotected first round pick. Um, prices are sky high right now across the market. And so when this comes across the newswire, Cam Reddish, the Knicks would like a couple of second rounders. You go, wait, what? Somebody doesn't want a first round pick? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's get something done, right? It's on a number of Lakers fans who've said paging Rob Palenka, Kendrick Nunn, a couple second round picks for Cam Reddish. Go get that done. Um, I don't think that would be a terrible deal. I don't think that that's terrible, but there's a few things to consider there. So Cam Reddish, look, the Lakers need help on the wings. He's a young wing player. He has some talent. The shooting's not great, but you don't know for sure that he can step in and contribute. He's not playing for the Knicks right? A team that could probably use him and he's not cracking that rotation. So I don't think you go trade for Cam Reddish and you just say, okay, cool. We're set on the wing now. We don't need wings anymore. We got Cam Reddish. We're good. Now, maybe if everything hits just right, he becomes that guy, but you can't say that with any certainty right now. So getting him, well, yes, the Lakers need help on the wing, 
I don't think after you get him, you need any less help on the wing than you did before because you can't say with any certainty exactly what you're going to get out of Cam Reddish. Now, he's the kind of player that I wouldn't mind taking a gamble on, but I think the other thing we need to keep in mind is just across the board, we tend to hear second-round pick and just think it's worthless, right? That, that seems to be the, um, the way fans treat second-rounders. When I'm seeing trade proposals that are thrown out there, it's usually just, oh, throw in like five second-round picks or whatever, right? They, they don't have any value. And that's not true. And that's especially not true for this Lakers team. You look at what the scouting department has done, the way they've found talent in the second round, late first round, whatever, even undrafted. They have unearthed talent consistently for years. So if you're the Lakers, you can't just be lighting any second round picks on fire. If there's a chance that you can get them for one second round pick, great. You do it because hanging on to one of those picks, one second rounder might really matter. That can be the difference between getting a Max Christie, who could be your 3-and-D wing of the future, and not. Um, this team has drafted extremely well, even in the second round, and I think you want to hang on to those if possible. So two seconds for Cam Reddish. Look, if the Lakers did that, it would be Kendrick Nunn's salary is very easy. Uh, you also have to keep in mind that, uh, that Cam Reddish is going to need a new contract, so that's something to consider uh, this summer if you decide you want to keep him. But... Two second, that's not an outlandish price to pay. But if you're the Lakers and you're taking a flyer on Reddish, you have to remember there's that opportunity cost there. You no longer would have Kendrick Nunn's salary to put into a bigger deal. You would no longer have those second round picks to maybe grease the wheels of another trade. So not a bad player to take a flyer on, but I don't think that's the home run move that perhaps the Lakers are looking for. If all else fails and you can walk away with Cam Reddish and you only have to give up a second round pick, Okay, and if you wind up giving uh, giving up two, it's fine. Value-wise, it's fine. I'm not concerned about that. But, again, there is that opportunity cost, and then we have to remember there's real value for the Lakers with second-round picks, so we can't act like that's simply nothing that you're trading away. Now, speaking of wings, let's talk a little bit about the hardship exception. Um, the Lakers, they're missing a number of wing players, and what happens is if you're missing four players – and they missed three games in a row, you could apply for a hardship exception from the NBA, which would allow you to bring in another player. So right now, the Lakers have had Austin Reeves, Lonnie Walker, Troy Brown Jr., Anthony Davis all miss at least three games. So that means if the Lakers applied for a hardship exemption from the league, they should indeed be granted that. Now, will they and should they really do that? Well, yes, they should because it doesn't cost you anything to apply for. It doesn't mean you have to use it. Just it's there if you want to use it. So yes, I think they should apply for it and they can be granted that. They can then use that to bring in a player. Now, you'd have to pay that player and that salary would count against the luxury tax. Maybe that's something there. But the other tricky part to this is that once you apply for the hardship exception and you get that roster spot, let's say you go sign somebody. Let's say it's Boogie Cousins. You go sign Boogie Cousins. Great. Um, unless you have another... And then let's say Troy Brown Jr. was questionable last game. They signed Boogie... And then, lo and behold, Troy Brown Jr. is totally fine, and he's going to play against the Mavs. Well, now you don't have four players who are injured at the same time. Now you only have three. Now, perhaps Patrick Beverly's injury changes that. So, again, maybe the Lakers could still make use of this. But if suddenly somebody is healthy, well, then you don't get that exception anymore, and that player would have to go away. In this case, you know, the example we're using is DeMarcus Cousins. So that's the other piece to this. If you're the Lakers and you feel like, hey, we're right on the cusp of getting these guys back, then it's probably not worth 
going ahead and bringing in somebody on the exception. And again, I, it's not, I don't think Reeves Walker, Reeves and Walker should be reevaluated in about a week or so, but Troy Brown Jr. is probably a little closer to actually returning. So while the Lakers could get one and should qualify for one, and again, should apply for one because it doesn't hurt to apply for it. I don't think it's, it's necessarily set that they would wind up using it unless Patrick Beverly's injury winds up being something that keeps him out for any length of time. Otherwise, they would wind up maybe bringing in a player and then just having to turn right around and send that player back home when Troy Brown Jr. returns to the rotation. All right, let's finish things up, though. Uh, shorter podcast today, by the way, but let's finish things up talking a little bit about Eric Pincus's piece on the Lakers and Anthony Davis and why this is going to be a big factor on the trade market for L.A. It's not just can they find the right deal? Can they avoid getting fleeced? Can they find the right players? Are they going to trade both picks? Are they going to trade one pick? Are they going to trade no picks? All those things have to be factors for the Lakers, figuring out what they want to do moving forward. But so too does the health of Anthony Davis, right? He's on the mend. We've heard maybe a couple weeks he might be back in action once he starts ramping things up, which should be like now he should start ramping things up. I'm um, starting to do some uh, aquatic workouts and things of that nature to get ready. That was according to Dave McMenamin. So Anthony Davis is getting ready to come back into the fold. But if you're the Lakers and you're looking at deals out there on the trade market, you know, they're looking, it's not going to be easy. I did a video the other day where I broke down all the challenges the Lakers have in front of them and trying to make a trade. But the big piece to all this is as Eric Pincus noted, what's the health of Anthony Davis? Because the nightmare scenario for the Lakers is he's got this bone spur that's still floating around in his foot. If that flares up again, maybe it's surgery for Anthony Davis. And then the season is over for him. So the nightmare scenario for the Lakers is Anthony Davis comes back, looks great. You give up both first round picks to try to get win now help. And then AD has to have surgery and his season's over. That would be the nightmare scenario for LA. You give up all that future draft capital and you don't really have a shot at doing anything this season because Anthony Davis can't stay healthy. So that's a big, big question for the Lakers is what does Anthony Davis look like when he comes back? And then what's the risk of re-injury? Because that should help inform your decision-making on the trade front. Now, I've long said that I think the Lakers, the best way for them to play the trade deadline here it's not necessarily to go in dead set on trading both picks or not trading both picks. It's to have that kind of flexibility that you're willing to trade them if the right deal comes along. You're also willing to walk away if the right deal does not come along and perhaps do something smaller. I think the key, though, in any trade is that if you're going to give up any kind of significant future draft capital, you want to try to get back pieces that either are so surefire that you are now one of the top teams in the West which I don't think that's out there, or or you want to get back pieces where you say, these are players that can help us into the future, where let's say we give up the 2027 first. This player, player X, could conceivably be on the team in 2027. That's the other thing I'm looking at if I'm the Lakers. And I've talked a lot about this, that what you want to do is have a player who's young enough or players who are young enough so that in, let's say they decide in 2026, they need to start rebuilding. You've got a player that you could flip and then get draft capital back. So if you give up, let's say it's Kyle Kuzma, you give up a first round pick right now, you get Kyle Kuzma, 
Kuzma plays on the Lakers for a few seasons, helps give you a little bit of firepower right now. And then 2026 comes along and you decide, you know what, that's it. We need to rebuild this thing. We're going to bottom out. And you can trade Kyle Kuzma and ideally get at least a first round pick back in return. So you're kind of recouping that value. That's not going to happen with a Boyan Bogdanovich. And Bogdanovich is great. He'd be a fantastic fit. I think you could argue he'd be an even better fit than Kuzma this year. But he's 33. He's going to be 34 in March. So by the time 2026, say, and that's just a year I'm picking here, by the time that comes around, you're not getting a first-round pick for Bogdanovich. He's probably not even on your roster anymore because of his age. So I think the Lakers have to be careful, and this is much easier said than done, but they have to be careful that if they're going to give up significant future draft capital, again, you need to be certain that that piece is going to help you win a championship or, or at the very least, you get a player who is young enough so they can be part of your future. Because let's face it, I don't know that there's that surefire win-now move out there. And if that's not there, there's still a chance they miss the playoffs. And if that's the case, you can't do something where you're putting all your eggs in the basket of this season because that possibility still exists that you don't get to where you want to go, particularly if there's injury or, or things like that. The West is compact. It could come down to a few bad shooting nights, right? It's going to be a very close race all the way through. So if you're going to do some type of a move, it's either got to seriously vault you into contention. And again, I don't see that move out there. Maybe we'll get a surprise. But if not, you've got to go get pieces where you can say, this is a player where even if it doesn't work this season, next season, we want this player on our roster. The season after, we want this player on our roster. And again, Anthony Davis is a major factor in that conversation because if the Lakers are convinced that he can stay healthy, then that gives you a little more incentive to surrender assets now. But you can mitigate that worry, that little gnawing pit in your stomach, if you at least get back players that are young enough to also help you in the future should, heaven forbid, knock on wood, something else happens with that bone spur that is still loose in Anthony Davis's foot. It's something that the Lakers really have to consider. I know a lot of people have been Critical of the Lakers for being uh, too cautious on the trade market, but they really got to get this right. Whatever they do, they really have to get this right. And I'm on the side of, I'm still on the side of you do something. You try to do something here. You don't sit back and say, well, the market's tough. No, you leave no stone unturned. You do everything you possibly can to adapt and overcome. It's a difficult market, but you've got to figure out a way to get pieces for LeBron, for Anthony Davis, give them a shot to win right now, while still giving yourself opportunities for the future. Again, much easier said than done. It is a tall task that's being presented to the Lakers front office and the market. It's not pretty right now. Not going to be easy for the team to get a deal done, but we'll see. We'll find out what Rob Palenka and the Lakers front office are made of. We've got just under a month until the trade deadline hits. Make sure you guys are subscribing to the Lakers Nation YouTube channel. We'll keep you up to date with everything going on. On the trade front, and of course, listen to the Lakers Nation podcast over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Till next time, everybody. Again, a little shorter show today, but thought we'd get a quick one in here midweek. Got a game coming up tomorrow against the Dallas Mavericks. We'll have our normal post-game show after that one. Till next time, everybody. See ya, and stay safe. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. <laughs> 
so he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.